This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is... You in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Stuffer Schindler has a chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend. What a difference a week makes. Yes, it's the warm-up episode 127. It's your host, Brady Frost. Tom Bradshaw doesn't join me this week, but I am joined by We Are Terriers, David Hartrick. Dave, how are you doing? How's the new gig? Yeah, it's going really, really well. We're, we're very, very grateful um, to everybody who signed up. Um, if you didn't know, me and Stephen Chicken have have taken on doing some town coverage independently of the examiner as uh, Steve was made redundant, and their coverage has, has shrunk dramatically. Um, they, they're, it's just a change across the company. It's not specific to Huddersfield. And uh, legally, I have no opinion on that. Um, so uh, we've we've kind of just started literally last week. We had our first subscribers post going up because we're charging £5 a month, um, which is is basically the sort of the the minimum we can kind of charge because we thought we've got to charge for it because um basically now we're not under the umbrella of a, a company um there are equipment costs and various other things that we've had to kind of take on now i i have freelanced for reaching for the examiner covering town but I've never actually been paid for the podcast in the three years I've been doing it or four years or however long it is. I've never received a penny for it. So um, it, it's it's just for change of circumstances and everything else. It's kind of given us the chance to go forward with it. And we went with a five a month because it is literally like the minimum really that we can, we can sort of, we, we're not, trust us, we're not going to be buying BMWs and smoking cigars off the back of it. But we were desperate to keep the coverage going because it's, I think it's a huge hole that's that's left behind, you know, by not having analysis of of Steve's quality in your local newspaper. So, yeah, it's been it's been really good. We've had a, a big take up. It's been really really pleasing because we had a number of subscribers that kind of in our head we went, okay, this is where it's worthwhile doing, and in our head we kind of thought that we'd have to kind of build that up to that over a little bit of time and we did that on the first day um and it's 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 been great um and we're at a point where it, it's kind of 
we're not replacing the examiner's coverage to make it clear. So there's not, you know, like six pieces going up every day. But what we are doing is keeping the podcast going uh, with some specials and a few different plans in the future for that. Steve is doing his five conclusions after every game, uh, which was the most popular thing he did for the examiner by a country mile. He's also writing at least one other sort of quality analysis piece a week. He's also doing some Q&As and various other things. Um, what he's not doing is, you know, watching a press conference you can watch on YouTube or watch on the club's Twitter channel, to be frank, and turning it into a load of articles, just repeating what was on there. The transfer stuff in January is interesting because I think we, how we kind of did it before was like, all the links are out there, but if you suddenly see a scouting piece or something from Steve on the examiner or from me when I was freelancing there, there was a reason for that. That was because we believed it was going to happen. And we're kind of of the viewpoint that we're going to just keep doing that. There's no point us doing transfer news and reporting transfer news, you know, leave that to your football league world or what have you. But if we suddenly do a scouting report on a player, that's because you know, we are pretty sure something's going to happen. And we still have those links with the club. And it's important to say the club has been absolutely brilliant and want to support us and want to keep going because they want a sort of an authoritative voice in the media out there that not only sort of holds them to account when needs be, but speaks for them when it's it's difficult for football clubs to to sort of have any sort of hold in the media landscape at the moment. So it's just as important for them to be to to have us independently of them, but you know, reporting on things for them, getting things out there. There was a reason we started with a Kevin Nagel interview because he wanted he wants to support us, he wants us to continue to be an authoritative voice. Um so yeah, it's it's been great. It's been great, really, really brilliant take up, really mind-blowing take up. The first podcast went up today. There's two five conclusions up there already. I've written a piece that's going up this week just explaining a bit of a glossary of terms, but in Huddersfield Town uh flavours. Um and there's there's sort of all sorts planned going ahead. And you know, like because of the take up we've had, for example, we're we're hoping at one point, we thought we weren't going to be able to do away games realistically because of the cost involved. Because, you know, when we're when we're not working on on other things, it's very difficult to justify going to an away game in London or going to somewhere else. But there is a chance; it's not for definite that we. But there is a chance we're going to be able to do some away games, um, which does make a difference rather than just watching it. You know, on streams, it does make yeah. a difference to watch the game in terms of an analysis point of view. And yeah, it's it's been great. It's been honestly, it's been really, really great. Really kind of heartwarming because we both had loads of really nice messages. But you never know if nice messages are actually going to turn into people signing up and people listening and people subscribing. And so far, it has. So yeah, it's great. I better mention the uh, where you can actually go to sign up, hadn't I? Yeah, as we're plugging it, which is we are terriers, which is all all one dot substack dot com. And all you do is there's it takes you to a little landing page where you just put your email in, gives you the option to subscribe, um, and how you want to pay the the five pound. There's I think there's an annual option, so you can play twelve months worth, or you can do it monthly. And there's even an option to play more than five pounds. And and 
believe it or not, we've we've had quite a few people who've played more than that, which is um, mind-blowing to me, to be honest, mind-blowing. So thank you. Thank you very much to everyone who's subscribed so far, and thank you to everyone who will subscribe after this podcast goes out to your millions of listeners, Brady. That's a that's a hundred percent right. Millions of listeners, um, and yeah, and we will include the link in the um, the episode description, so you can just click on it there. Nice and convenient for you. Cool. Right. Let's get into this Bristol City game preview. But before we do, um, he says, "Haha." Uh, as you know, this year we've sponsored Huddersfield Town women captain Beth Stanfield. Um, so it's time for one of our monthly updates. Beth is actually out injured at the moment, so um, she kind of asked Beth Ibbotson, one of her. Uh, one of the other players um, to speak to us and give us an update on Town's recent results. Um, who and she has Beth has been captaining the side in a few games in her absence. So um, here's that clip to let them know, let us know how they've been getting on. Hi, yeah, thank you for having me again. It's great to be back on the podcast. Um, it's been a busy month or so with games, which started with Newcastle on the 22nd of October. We prepared really well for this game. Glenn set out a game plan which we as players batted into, but within the first few minutes this was affected by going down to 10 men, which put us on the back foot. We were defeated 4-0, but I was really proud of the team performance as we all worked as a team and every single player worked their socks off. Overall, the scoreline definitely didn't reflect the game itself. We defended incredibly well considering and we had multiple attacking opportunities ourselves which could have led to a couple of goals. So considering the circumstances, we walked, uh, we walked away with some level of positivity from this game. Uh, the following week, we had an important League Cup game against West Brom where we won 4-3. This was a personal achievement for myself as I captained the side, which was a proud moment. But more importantly, the performance filled us with confidence. It was a game that can encourage the players to enjoy and show what we could do as there was less pressure it not being a league game. And I believe that actually brought out the best in us as we played some good football, playing out from the back, linking up and combining to break through the lines. We had a wobble the last 20 minutes, uh, but saw the game out. So as a whole, we controlled the game and took our chances in front of goal. We then went into the league game the following week, full of positivity against Liverpool Feds, which showed when we scored within the first 20 minutes. However, after this, we were filled with frustration from a few referee decisions, which ended up in us being 2-1 down at half-time. I think we were hard done by, but looking at ourselves, we didn't do enough after scoring first. We were second to each ball and weren't playing to our identity. After a half-time team talk and some changes, we pushed for an equaliser, dominating the second half and should have capitalised on the amount of possession and chances we had. They threatened with counter-attacks with their fast-forwards, which punished us in the last minute when they scored another to win the game 3-1. This loss hurt, as I think we knew we could have done better and should have done. We struggled to convert our chances and didn't respond well to the situation we were put in. Another tough game followed with Burnley away in the FA Cup first round on the 12th of November. Credit goes to Glenn and the coaching staff for the level of detailed analysis and preparation for this game, which we as players implemented really well throughout. We started slow considering early on, but showed great character score and equaliser. From this point, I believe we're the better team. We pressed high, created many chances and had a great mentality, which I don't think that wasn't expected of us. We didn't let them play their football. Uh, they obviously had very dangerous players, so they always carried a threat, but the belief was there from us all that we were going to be the team to nick a goal and win the game. But unfortunately, football is full of mistakes and we conceded a poor goal. We were left heartbroken at the end of the match, losing 2-1 in that manner, as every single player was outstanding. But it goes to show how not taking advantage of dominant periods in football can really punish you. 
Overall, it was a huge turning point for the team as it was a performance to be proud of and something we can take into the coming league games, having competed with the top of the league. Uh, off the back of a very good performance, we took this into um, our County Cup game uh, where we progressed to the next round. Uh, credit goes to Peniston Church. They showed great perseverance the whole game and were a credit to themselves and their club. For us, it was about implementing attacking patterns and principles to be transferred into future games. The performance was a professional one, which brings us closer to our goal of getting to the final. There's a lot to work on, which we've been um, working on in training, preparing for our next games, uh, whenever the weather allows it, of course. Okay, right, let's talk about the Bristol City game then, uh, and thanks to Beth for that earlier. Uh, so the Terriers, they host Bristol City this Saturday after picking up five points in their last three matches. Uh, the Robins travel to the John Smiths, having lost two on the bounce and haven't won in their last four away trips. Um, can da- can Town make it four games unbeaten? Uh, David Hartrick, that's the question I ask you straight away. Um, they can. I think it's an eminently winnable game um, with some caveats in there. I think um, they're an offside, Bristol. They're an odd side. Have you looked into them much, Brady? Yeah, the, well, interesting. Yeah, I had a quick look and like, um, obviously, Liam Mann's only come in, but they're all like quite one goal margin, quite tight, like mm. not not loads in it. So it's kind of hard to, when when we do these pods, they're a bit of a weird one to look at. They're very like middle of the road, I'd say. Yeah, that's it. They, they've kind of lost to Leicester, Leeds and Southampton by one goal, I think. And... They've won all but one game by one go on. The the game they won, I think, was was it was it Rotherham or Plymouth? I can't remember. It was either Rotherham or Plymouth, I think they beat four one. So they are they are a side that keeps things tight, but they're also a side that when you look at them, they kind of they have loads of names that you know. Mm. <laughs> They've got you there are loads of names that you hear and you instinctively think, okay. I'm pretty sure they've they've been knocking around the championship for years, and they're good. And mm. what I mean is names like Kai Naismith and Harry Cornick and Matty James and Rob Dickey, and uh, there there are others as well. And they kind of never, I don't think they ever really become more than the sum of their parts. Really, they they're difficult to beat and difficult to break down, but they're also kind of, you know, this isn't this isn't a fortress. I think you can you can get at them. I, I think Rob Dickey is a very limited footballer, shall we say. Um, so you can play around him a bit. And yeah, I, I don't see any reason why if Town are kind of sensible and kind of organised well and do the things that they do well, well, <laughs> there's no reason why they can't get something from this game. Um, and I think they'll more than likely be kind of buzzing after the last week even though they conceded that goal again late against Swansea I don't think anybody thought five points was coming <laughs> from from those three games so yeah I do I, my gut feeling is at the moment I think draw because I think every Huddersfield Town game draw because injuries no Radoni don't score enough goals etc etc but yeah they could get a bit more out of it mm, yeah and it was interesting coming into this I was looking at what Bristol's like results have been uh, playing teams like near the bottom and the three below. They, obviously, they drew a QPR away. Um, they beat ten man Sheffield Wednesday at home, but that was a bit of a laboured one. And they need a last minute winner to beat Rotherham away. Uh, mm. So, like you say, it's kind of 
you look at that and yes they've got two wins from the bottom three but they're not as um kind of solid uh, you know it's not like a two nil kind of we were better than them kind of thing. so it's it, it is an interesting one um and I, I agree i think this is you know you look you look at the week town of bad and it's been very good but also probably very needed because you know qbr sheffield wednesday they've they've had a good week compared to what they've produced this season so yeah this looks weirdly more like a, a winnable one i'd say but I, i'm kind of with you it's just um I was very surprised Town scored two against Sunderland. I don't think many people were predicting us to win against Sunderland. I mean, Tony Mowbray said it himself after the game, but um, yeah, I, I just, Town don't really look like they score two. You know, they, I do feel like they have one goal in them and it's, uh, as we you've talked about on your pod and we've talked about on here, it's, it's very laboured at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I like. I think the thing is that with Bristol... They're quite like town in some respects. They don't concede as many as town have, but town kind of don't concede as many as as the as the table says. Really, they've just had a couple of real off days that have completely ruined the goal difference. And I think Bristol have only scored like two more than town across the season. And there's no doubt in they've got more firepower. Um, Harry Cornick is a sort of proper championship stalwart. One of um, one of Danny Cole, uh, Danny Cowley's favourite players, Harry Cornick, actually, mm-hmm. um, and of course Naki Wells is still there. And but they they kind of just don't. They have quite similar problems to Town in attack, really, in that they don't ever really generate enough chances to sort of properly kill teams off. And I think at the moment, I think if you look at Town's week, they get a goal against Southampton that's a cross that goes in. They get a winner against Sunderland where it's a sort of the ball kind of ends up at Bergsog's feet kind of by accident and he finishes it first time really, really well. Mm. Then they get the own goal. It, it does kind of feel like they're getting a slight bounce of the ball at the minute and you just you hope it continues really because if it does, as I said, there's no reason they can't beat a Bristol and there's no reason you can't go into it thinking, okay, well, we shouldn't be losing this, put it that way. But it, it depends if they... I think the week off will do them a world of good. They looked extremely tired, extremely mm. tired against Swansea. If you play all that time without the ball, then you are going to be tired. And like the team, the average age of the team was was nearly 29 years old against Swansea. They need some recovery time. And I think these are the games where they have a week to recover from their last fixture. It's a home game. These are the ones they've kind of got a target before January mm. to try and get something out of it. And it, I wouldn't say there's massive pressure because they've just got, I would argue, five more points <laughs> than many people thought out of that week. But at the same time, I spoke about it in the other podcast, the bar has slightly moved at this point because we've seen that they can get something out of these games. So they can't hull away it. You know, they, they've got to be more proactive. They've got to actually go out and try and win this game. And I think as town fans, I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but what you want to see win, lose or draw is a, a team that are trying to win a game. And I think that uh, the personnel they've got are not ideal at the moment, but I think they've proved they are trying to find ways to do that. 
Yeah, definitely. And like, you know, we've, we've touched on this before um, quite a few times and I know you have as well, but particularly after a free game week, like you barely have any time on the on the training round. You know, it's just recovery, play a game, recovery. So um, I'm kind of with you a little bit of a break will do him good because, I mean, I'm a bit worried about people getting run into the ground. You both touched on Sorba Thomas. You know, that's a concern for me because mm-hmm. he's putting in a real shift for Darren Moore. Uh, and the team, and he looked knackered. I think they all just look a bit knackered, like you say. So, I think um, I think a rest could do him really good in this one. Yeah, definitely, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, and I think Bristol are quite. Uh, uh, they're kind. Of, they're not going to come at them all blood and thunder. You know, they're they're not. It, they're not just going to throw the kitchen sink at them. They're going to try and work their way into the game and try and gradually sort of push home their superiority. So I don't think town have to worry about like withstanding a huge barrage. But I also think this isn't a game to come away with 22% possession. You know, mm-hmm. this is a game. I'm not saying that town suddenly have to have to come you know, it has, they have to have 60% possession or anything like that, but you can do more on the ball against Bristol. And it would be nice to see them sort of make some moves that way. Yeah, definitely. You you want like an Ipswich Town, like a slightly different, mm. but they they went at them, didn't they, and gave a good account of themselves. Mm. So now I'm, I'm with you there, hundred um, percent. Now, uh, listeners, if you were tuning in, you may have seen that Tom or he- heard if uh, you just listen on the pods that Tom isn't here. But panic not, he did do a history corner, and here it is. Tom's history corner. Hello, it's me. It's Tom. That means it's history corner. It's Huddersfield Town versus Bristol City. Uh, 66 times these teams have faced off with each other. Town edge it with 28 victories, 13 draws and 25 defeats to the Robins. The first game was as far back as 1911 where Town lost 3-2 away to Bristol City in the second tier. And then the most recent game was also in the second tier where Town drew 0-0 last season under Neil Warnock as the tide began to turn for Town's hunt for survival. There's been two 6-1 victories in this fixture, both sides picking up one. Um, Town's was in 1959 and then the Robins was in 1989. The highest scoring game, though, wasn't one of the 6-1s and it came in 1915 where Town were on the right side of an eight-goal thriller, winning 5-3 that season. Ralph Shields, um, with a hat-trick that day, and Town's top scorer that season, where Town finished a respectable eighth in Division 2. Now, we go into players that have played for both, and especially recently, recent history, it's been a very striker-heavy selection this uh, we've got some brilliant names to throw out here obviously most recently the lovely Naki Wells has played for both sides John Stead had a stint at Bristol City and then obviously Marcus Stewart the legend that is played for both Bristol clubs one of my favourite players to play for both teams and with possibly one of the greatest Uh, goal announcements you'll ever hear down at the Sir John Smith Stadium um, was Jamie Boom Boom McComb what a legend he was 
And then finally, Alan Walsh, who um, was one of Bristol City's best ever players, I believe. Um, got a couple of uh, Player of the Season awards whilst there. Made over 200 appearances for them. Um, and only went on to make four appearances for town in 1991. And that is your... History Corner this week, up the town. Let's get a win on Saturday. Come on, you mighty Terriers. Okay, so thanks to Tom for that. Um, yeah, players play for both. Marcus Stewart, obvious one. Uh, Jack Hunt was the one I remembered, um, who is obviously really well-loved by Huddersfield Town mm. fans still. So there we go. Um, yeah, so coming back to Bristol a little bit, Dave, I was asking you before, and um, I think it's very te- before we were recording. I think it's very telling that you uh, you were kind of didn't really know what to say, and we were going to talk about it on here. And Bristol have replaced Nigel Pearson with with Liam Manning. Obviously, he was linked to Huddersfield. Um, I think it was a few years ago. I mean, what what coach hasn't been listen- uh, linked with Huddersfield, given how many managerial changes we've made? <laughs> um, but I, I wanted to ask what your thoughts on him are as a coach. I, you know, I'm not expecting you to be a, a Liam Manning expert, but um, yeah, just curious for your take I I think he's quite I think he's quite interesting but I still kind of don't have a firm opinion of whether he's good or not he what I mean about interesting is he's so so he was he was a youth coach at West Ham and then he was running their sort of B team um and then he made the move to to go to the city group and to become like uh essentially Lee Bromby's first job like academy director and then he he got pulled out of that to go to a club in the Belgium second division which is really like that move is not a move you can feasibly see coming Mm -hmm. so he obviously had a, a sort of a motivation to get the top job you know he wanted to be a manager and he did really really well with them um, I think I think he took over when they were like I don't know if they were bottom, but they were not far off. And he ended up I think they ended up top four or five. And it, the the problem is it's the Belgium second division. And as an analyst, I cannot sit here and tell you how much of an achievement that is because I just don't know. You know, I, I I don't know what the level is like if it's comparable with League Two or is it comparable with the Championship or is it is it mm. non-league? You know, because remember, you have to understand that second tiers in European football are not like the Championship. England is a massive anomaly, you know, for for the quality of our football through the tiers. But then MK Dons took took the chance on him, and he had a, a really quite a weird time there. In that, for a spell, it looked quite good, and then dramatically it went south and went wrong and again I don't if you look at what's happened since MK Dons and a little bit into how the club is is being run I don't know if that's Liam Manning or, I, or if that's the club I, I genuinely don't again so again I've kind of got a question mark and he went to Oxford and there was no no denying he did he did well at Oxford um, and he was doing some quite interesting things tactically and He's a little bit of a disciple of the sort of uh, Pep Guardiola plus in football that is sort of gently leeching its way down the leagues. And he's um, he's like a sort of a, a, a Wagner high line and high press, but with 
uh, a sort of Carlos Corbran emphasis on control and possession, really. So he's not there yet by any stretch with, with Bristol, by any stretch. And again, it's like, I just don't know if he's if he's good or if he's not. I, I think there are signs that there is something there. But it, mm-hmm. on the other hand, there are also signs of, you know, I don't know about that Belgian job. The MK Dons job, I don't know how much of that was his fault. Mm. Oxford United have actually got a really good League One squad, I would argue. There's a couple of players in there who could jump up immediately into the championship. Great. Again, I'm not trying to downplay his, his talent. So I'm trying to say, I genuinely don't know. I genuinely don't know how good he is. I think we'll probably kind of know more next season really if he stays that long because I I don't think he's had a club where he's had his own set of players you know where he's gone through two transfer windows so you can sort of feasibly say okay this is now my team this is I've recruited into this team I've got the first 11 that I want to play my sort of football so yeah it's it's an interesting one and I don't I still think he's kind of feeling his way a little bit with Bristol like you say their form is kind of all over the place at the moment but often when you're trying to switch to a new style when you're trying to evolve this does happen you know let's let's look let's all look at Carlos Corbrand's first season with Huddersfield mm-hmm. Town to see how long it takes to kind of change a mindset within a squad so I think you have to give him a bit of grace for that but then also you have to say okay well now's the time to play them because <laughs> if they're going to evolve into something much better beat them now <laughs> so yeah it, it's it, I don't know he, he's an interesting interesting manager he's kind of one to keep an eye on and I'm kind of convinced in three years time he's either going to be managing in the Premier League or he's going to be managing in League Two it's it's going to go one way or the other really yeah yeah I mean I'd give my judgment but like you say like I think Oxford are quite a, a good run club I know he did well there but you know Arguably, I I think they're kind of a championship team. You know, they that playoff final where uh, Wickham just basically put ten men behind the ball as Wickham did under Gareth Ainsworth, and you know, flute that. Um, yeah, no, it's it's hard to judge. And what do I know? Because I said Danny Cowley, I thought he'd be a Premier League manager, and uh, he's uh, well. I, I think the thing is, right, not to go off on too big a tangent, but. I think I think with Danny, I think what he did with Huddersfield Town gets massively downplayed because I, agree. I think people forget the situation they were in when he took over. Mm. And then he had to manage the COVID break as well. And then he had to manage through that last period of games played in the most, the, the weirdest circumstances. Because when you need points at home, what you want is your crowd behind you and really pushing you forward. And they kind of had to grind it out. And I'll never forget that West Brom performance where he broke it down into four quarters. He basically did his usual and got somebody to sort of go down on the minute for a drinks mm-hmm. break um, so he could basically reshuffle them, put Smith Rowe on with 20 minutes to go right into that 10 space and got their reward for it with like five minutes to go. And I, I think with Danny, it's quite interesting because I just, I think there were lots of reasons to take that Portsmouth job, but there was also equally lots of kind of red, flags around it as well and he kind of didn't he didn't get the backing he needed there that subsequently they have now realized okay (laughs) we actually need to do this and I feel with Danny that he needs 
his next job is going to be really interesting because I'm like you, I, I, I'm actually a big fan. You know, I, I am a big fan, but he kind of needs a club that turns itself over to Danny Cowley. That's the problem. So mm. if, if you were to say like, is he going to be a Premier League manager? He's never going to be a Premier League manager because a Premier League team just won't do that. You know, they yeah. won't sort of say, right, you can handle some recruitment. You can change how we do our academy setup. You can have it completely in your own image. But it, do I think he's probably going to be a very successful lower league manager again? Yeah, absolutely, I do. And I think if he'd have took that Bradford job, he'd have got them promoted. Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised he didn't. I mean, I think, sorry, we are digressing here, but just on the yeah. I remember it was a, a few a few months ago and like people always shared the the team against West Brom and it's like, oh, that we had Trevor Shalaber, like Smith Rowe, like blah, 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 like, and we only did this. It's like, again, <laughs> no no team had stayed up at the point when they came in and also yeah. like, they're not the players that Trevor Shalaber and Emil Smith Rowe are now. No. Um, you know, don't need to tell you that. So yeah, no, I, I think, you know, Clearly, Carlos ended up doing a better job um, in the long term. But yeah, like I, I, I think he gets, um, you know, talked off. Uh, yeah, kind of crit- He's underrated a little bit, I think. After after all that. Um, yeah, then, I. The, also, while we are on this time, let's do it. I want, I want an hour of this. Um, <laughs> but also, people, the thing that gets thrown around is like, oh, his football was really, really bad. People forget before the Leeds game, which was the last game before the COVID break. And that Leeds side, like it or not, is genuinely in like the top two or three championship sides of all time. Oh yeah. Now I know I know lots of people yeah. listening to this will completely bristle at that. I completely understand that. But it it is the truth. They were. Hmm. And before that, they just chucked in performances, couple of performances, I think was it Charlton and Bristol, but, but I think it might have been Bristol. I can't remember. Yeah. Where the XG was absolutely off the charts nearly four you yeah. know and they they had taken them apart the problem was like that covid break could not have come at a, a, a worse time because it just completely like took the wind out of everyone's sails and then i think we really are on a tangent this is bristol city no, here. but <laughs> but it, the other thing was about the cowleys is that they really struggled to adjust at first in the covid grounds because I did. I obviously did all the town games, and when there's no one in there, what you don't realise is that everything you can say could be heard by everything else. So when you turn mm-hmm. around and have a go at a player, some players get really bristly about it and bullish and pull their socks up and they go, "Right, I'm going to show you." But there are other players who everybody's just heard you getting a roasting for something, and they just shrink into their shells, and. I think the Cowleys, more than anyone else I saw, really kind of struggled that with the first two or three games. And you had one or two quite sensitive souls in that Huddersfield Town 11 who basically didn't like everybody being able to hear them being told off, (laughs) to put it in in the simplest terms. And they kind of had to really adjust for that. So it was, God, that's... I mean, it seems... That COVID time was just so weird on so many on so many levels. Anyway, yeah. Bristol. So let's. We're saying we're going on tangents here, and um, this is kind of a tangent because it's Kwan's question time. A few things, the things change, but also a lot of things are still the same. So <laughs> ahead of the preview show, we wanted to know 
this is actually quite topical for Aquinas' question, I, I will say. Um, the question we asked you all, and I'll ask Dave for his thoughts, and you'll hear the thoughts of myself, uh, was the question was, have recent results changed your mind about Darren Moore? So here's what the listeners have to say, some of the responses. So Michael said, got to give him a transfer window. I can understand why he's doing what he's doing, but he needs the quality. Liam Noble says, nope, he still needs time because of when he came in and what he came into. Been massively unlucky with injuries to players, not even being able to fill a bench. That has then been compounded further by playing two fixtures in a week. Brackets, Warnock didn't have this issue, so has to rotate anyway. Will Harris says, I would have said no until I saw this. And uh, I, if people saw the tweet, it's the Arteta one where they stuck, Arsenal stuck by him um, after he'd won, I think it was two games in 10. Uh, and Will says, I get why they made the change. Players wouldn't have come in January known Warnock was leaving in the summer or before. I wouldn't have chosen more personally, but he, he's here, so we need to get behind him. And uh, Rob, a bit of a contrast, he says, I'm not so sure how the, much the recent run has been down to Darren Moore as much as the squad selection being dictated by injuries and him getting a bit of luck. I'm worried about how much he'll, how much say he'll get in the transfer window if we recruit for his style and then part ways with him in February. Um, so, yeah, a little bit split. There was a little bit split in the comments. I think my take on it is not really changed my mind about Darren Moore. I think, you know, we've touched on it on here and you guys have touched on it on yours. It's just really hard to judge with the squad where it is. And um, I know everyone loved Neil Warnock, and I'm, it's not to criticise Neil Warnock, but I just think like Neil Warnock says comments to make himself look good. So, I like the playoff thing, I know it's been talked about to death, but there's no way this team was getting going on a playoff push. Warnock's just saying that. So, when it doesn't do well, he can be like, oh, well, I would have taken them to playoffs. He did that with Middlesbrough because I know. Uh, as soon as Warnock left, uh, Johnny from the Middlesbrough po uh, podcast was uh, saying, oh, this all sounds a bit familiar. Um, yeah, I think it's really hard to judge and, you know, it gets talked about a lot. But the, the January transfer window, I, I do think, I think you actually said it, Dave, on on, on the uh, your pod this week. But it, it is kind of like, I think that's town season in a nutshell. They need to nail that window. And, you know, I think he deserves it because, yeah, he's not, you know, he's been working with a squad that we all have said is is quite threadbare and lacks quality and in my opinion I don't think it's even an opinion the injuries we've had have made it a worse squad than what Neil Warnock had so I've not really changed my mind about it I just think it's really hard to judge Darren Moore and I think really I'm, I'm just pleased he's had a good week because I feel like some of the criticism has been a bit unfair in my opinion um, but Dave what about yourself? Um, My my opinion hasn't really changed which is, is that I think it's very, very difficult to judge him so far. Um, when he came in, I think he came into a, like not an impossible situation, but replacing Warnock, Warnock at Huddersfield Town was always going to be really, really difficult. Mm. Doesn't matter who had come in, they would have faced the exact same challenges in terms of PR and everything else. And I think he's actually, he's kind of straight batted everything, which hasn't, endeared him because he doesn't give a good press conference he doesn't no. make jokes he doesn't you know he's not making people smile but you have to remember that in the nicest possible sense Neil Warnock didn't care when he was here he didn't care you know because he knew he could do no wrong in terms of the the fans he knew last season it was a free hit you know, keep them up and you're, you're a legend forever. If you don't keep them up, not my fault. It was the people that came before me. Mm -hmm. This season, he knew he was never staying. 
you know, don't don't let anybody tell you he was going to be here at the end of the season. We all knew he wasn't staying. Um, so it was it was a horrible situation to come into, and I think he has been unlucky. But I think also he's had to turn the training up a little bit, and of course that does lead to some muscle injuries. And I think playing without the ball as they've been forced to do doesn't help that in any respect whatsoever. So it's just kind of all the cards feel like they're stacked against him at the moment. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting here as as the world's biggest Aaron Moore fan. I kind of, I kind of don't know. Majuri's out for me. I, I look back at his managerial career and I see lots of really, really good things, and some things to look at. And I think, yeah, I don't know, you know. And you speak to fans of clubs who've had Darren Moore as a manager, and they're sort of largely positive, but they've always got like a but. You know, but mm, he did this, yeah. or but we couldn't go up because of this. So I think the jury's still out a bit. But at the moment, I just don't think you can judge him. That's the that's the long and short of it. I think until they get to January and he's got some personnel back and he's got the kind of the transfer business that they should have done in the summer and couldn't because they still need a striker, they still need an eight, they still need a winger, they still need a right back. Now, right back, I think is is fourth of those things now because of mm. the way Ben Jackson's playing and Lonnie Turton's coming up and Pearson can play there. But they're, they're the roles there to fill in the summer. Never mind now. You know, the fact they haven't done that and he's kind of inherited it, I just think, yeah, we've just got to wait and see, really. But I do think the season lives or dies, really, by what the squad looks like on February the 2nd. And I think far more than lives or dies than that than whether Darren Moore's in the dugout or not. You know, I, I genuinely do because Neil Warnock only had eight points from eight games. You know, that that's that's the kind of reality. A lot of people are sort of saying, oh, you know, Warner could be flying now or he'd have a load of points from it. He had eight points from eight games. And I think Darren Moore is on 12 points from 11 now overall. So they're tracking pretty much exactly the same, you know, and that's that tells me that, What's going to shift that needle isn't the dugout. It's 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 on the pitch. They need some more quality on the pitch. So it hasn't changed my opinion, really, because I don't think it's really possible to have a really, really strong opinion. Because I think if you're blaming Darren Moore, then you're kind of not looking at problems elsewhere. And there are reasons for that. You know, we're all football fans. I, I have huge blind spots when it comes to Brighton and Hove Albion, believe me. We all have them when you're a fan, and that's absolutely fine and legitimate. But I just think as 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 an analyst who talks about Huddersfield Town a hell of a lot <laughs> with a hell of a lot of different people, I just think put Liam Manning in there, put, I don't know, Alan Pardew in there, and they've got the exact same problems Darren Moore has at the moment. So let's see. I, the one thing I would say, without going on a, a, off on a different tangent again, but... I do think Town are only like two or three players away. They do mm-hmm. do lots of good things. They just don't have that creative spark. And if they had that creative spark, so they can turn they can turn some of the half chances into proper chances and they've got a striker who's a little bit more of a finisher, I, I genuinely think they'd be absolutely fine. You know, I I don't if they get that recruitment right, I don't think they're going to finish 21st. I, I, I think they'll probably finish like 14th, 15th, 16th. That's genuinely how comfortable I think it could be. But, you know, the question is there is they've got to get that recruitment right. 
Mm, yeah, and we got we got some questions about um, Gano, which we'll, we'll come on to. But I, I am kind of with you. I, I think um, it's kind of. I think if you have that quality, that's the thing, isn't it? Like if you've got two real quality options, like you said, that that passing eight and that striker, mm-hmm. I actually think it lifts everyone else. Like Bergzog is classic. I know people are a bit, um, you know, a bit bit torn on him because he's a classic. Like you know, does something excellent and then goes anonymous for free. But I almost think like if you don't have to rely on him to do the amazing thing in free, like it kind of. It might raise him up and Radoni. I think he's been excellent this season. I know you've talked about it. We've talked about it on here, but Town could really do with him back. And again, even I, I think Ben Wiles, if he has someone else, you know, he's probably been playing with an injury. That's kind of what everyone's saying, but not saying. And um, yeah, just uh, I just think it lifts the team as well. I'm not completely worthy. Mm. They need they need a, a that eight for me is the like the key position because I just don't think they've got. It's not like we're waiting for Ben Wiles to become that player. Mm. You know, they just haven't got that player in the squad. And there are games where there are games where they need somebody to pick that pass. You know, like at the moment, there's so much reliance on kind of Sorber to to as the outman to kind of make something happen. And you have to remember he's always got two people to beat. That's his life. He's always hmm. got two people to beat before he can make anything happen. That I think if they've got a proper passer who can find other people and t- take some of the responsibility off, and then a striker who, you know, ultimately is sort of, a, I wouldn't say a better finisher than Danny Ward, but maybe a more selfish player than Danny Ward, to be hmm. frank, then I do think they can get a lot more out of it. There, there's been a lot of games this season that have past town by because they've kind of they've kind of given up when they've realized they've sort of got no way to unlock the door and suddenly if if you've got a player who can do that it, it kind of it kind of changes your fortunes i'm i'm going to i'm going to say the two words that you know everybody wants to hear and that's Aaron Moy you know if 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 Aaron Moy is not in that side in in 2017 i i don't think town go up i think it's no, I that dramatic a difference so you know, if they can if they can find that player who just makes a bit of a difference in that midfield and eases a little bit of pressure on others, um, and allows Jack Radoni to just run into those pockets of space and be picked out by passes instead of trying to have to go hunting for the ball all the time, I just don't think they're a million miles off. I, re- I really, really don't. But it, to to reiterate, they've got to get the right players in. You know, they've got to get that recruitment right. Mm. We'll we'll come on to that actually because that's uh, that's the the question we kind of did on on a poll on X. Um, but before we do, we'll just say take a little quick break. So, if like me, uh, you're going you're going to the game this weekend, you normally go to because uh, I'm on the Kilnabank side, go to the little Magic Rock Bar, um, get yourself there. But you can't wait until then. Don't forget if you listen to uh, this podcast, Magic Rock are our sponsors, <coughs> and for doing so, you get ten percent off all online orders just using the code. A-H-T-T-T-10 uh, at magicrockbrewing.co.com. Uh, so there you go. There's a little ticker for you on there. Um, right, we'll come back and we'll talk about that poll I was mentioned about just then. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cosy, what, what's your favourite away day? Matt, it's got to be the city ground at Nottingham. Just old school stadium, you're right near the pitch, great atmosphere. But there's nothing like playing at home. Same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, so the poll we did on Twitter was ahead of this game. We wanted to know um, on We Are Terriers, there was an exclusive with with Kevin Nagel and Stephen Chicken. And uh, Kevin Nagel said in this that Huddersfield are going to be, quote, active in January looking for the right players. Uh, So we wanted to know, are you confident Town will get the right players in the next transfer window? So it's just a little quick poll. Um, 19% said, yes, I am confident. 31% said, uh, I'm torn. 48% said, I'm not confident. Um, Dave, not surprising because, uh, as I joke, Town are, are quite pessimistic. And um, I think just, just my thoughts on this quickly. I I, I get it because I think it's we've had years of, um, oh, just wait until... Just wait until this window. I'll just wait until this window. Oh, things will get better. Things will get better. Um, I think it's we've we've had a lot of words, you know, with previous ownership, and this is really a, a season where I think the mismanagement is kind of um, and the lack of good recruitment for the squad is is really kind of stark. Um, I agree. So I, I don't think it's a you know this isn't necessarily a criticism of Kevin Nagel, but I think we've just we've just heard this all before, and like, I think this is the time that we do need to see it. And I think you touched on it actually, but um, they do need that, that window that is a bit like we were talking about the Cowleys, that January window, they need those quality additions that are going to take it up. So um, I'm not surprised that people aren't confident. I think we do just have to wait and see, but um, yeah. How are you, you know, are you confident town will get the right players? No, but that doesn't mean they won't. The reason Mm -hmm. I'm saying no is because, not because it's based on history or anything like that, but like I, I'm an analyst, so I have to look at evidence. And at the moment, it, the, the team's all new. <laughs> um, mm. We don't know what a Mark Cartwright window looks like properly because the summer was weird. It was weird on lots of levels and it was kind of out of town's control. And I'm, I'm not going to go into it, but, Really, there was lots of reasons why they didn't recruit very well. So, I I don't I don't really have an opinion at the moment because I've sort of kind of yet to see what what they can do. I think when you look at Mark Cartwright's history, recruitment wise, I think there's some very promising things in there, and I think there are some that you look at and you go, Ooh. but I think that's probably true of anyone. You know, you can hold up, you can hold up Lee Bromby and say, you know, this is the man that created that side for Carlos Corbran and got those people in on a free and it it was what a season it was. But then I think people look at the following windows and they blame him for everything as well. And that kind Mm. of, that kind of becomes more important than the, the good team you create. So I, I just don't know. I just don't know. I'm, I'm kind of confident in that. I think I know some of the names they were talking about in the summer, 
Um, and they were they they were potentially good signings. You know, there there was a, a couple of strikers they were after that ultimately didn't come for for reasons that are not all in the club's control, as I said. But they were the right kind of players. <laughs> they were the right kind of signings. So I feel kind of encouraged on on that front for some of the names I know they were they were looking at. But you've got to get them over the line. You know, names on a list are fantastic. You can have Gillian Mbappe, Lionel Messi and Lewis Dunk on a uh, list, but it doesn't mean you're going to get the three best players in the world, does it? Um, but, yeah, I just... I, I kind of I kind of be wary of anyone who sort of says they're definitely not going to get it right and it's going to be a disaster. And I'd be kind of wary of anybody that says they're definitely going to get it right and it will be a huge success because we just just don't know at the minute. But I think probably when they've made a couple of signings, we'll probably know the direction of travel. You know, I think the first one is quite a an interesting one to get done because. There is a world in which, I don't know, Kevin Nagel wants to be a bit splashy and go and spend a few quid on someone and have a big PR win. It may be a couple of Premier League loans before anything else. Who knows, really? Who knows? I just don't know what it's going to what it's going to look like at all. So it's a bit of a non-answer, but I'm, at least I'm explaining my non-answer. No, I'm with you. Like, I don't think you can play either way, can you? Because as, as, as we, we both kind of touched on that, like, everyone's new and also like new regime and yeah it's hard to say I, I think the encouraging thing for me though if I'm going to be slightly positive is I feel like Darren Moore's got a reputation of like having good loan contacts and like he's well thought of in the game and that, that's no disrespect to Neil um but you know Neil is um rightly or wrongly attributed with playing a certain way and um you know he's a very results now manager and result results now managers don't necessarily want young players on loan to make mistakes when you know games are so costly so um i feel like more's that's something that's maybe a tick in most most column he does have those contacts so mm. hopefully we see that and we, we've seen with town you know i know um town are never going to be a, a side that has can pay millions and millions for players uh, or historically hasn't been but like i think where town have done well and we we've seen you know we've uh, with Carlos Corbran teams, with the Fagner teams, like if you get your if you get your Premier League loans right, that can be a real difference maker. You know, um, if we, for example, I know it's the one last season, but like if you if Tina Andron could have stayed fit, <laughs> you know that yeah. could have made a real difference. It, it's one of them you can really look out. So, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. But I think um, I think there's a like we've kind of touched on. I think there's a bit of surgery, and I, I you touched about the on the age and the old. I, I want to see. If ideally, I want to see some young players and not some young Brahima Diara. He's played in the academy. I want, ideally, if I could ask for, I'd want some young players who have got a bit of potential but have like fifty career appearances in League One or League Two to the name. Mm. Ideally, um, I think that's the kind of players we need. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I as I said, I I have no prior knowledge. I don't know which way they're going to go with it. But you you look at the Premier League loans that Town have had in very recent history. And they've made a big difference. You know, Levi Colwell, what a player. You know, future England captain, that lad. Mm. Emil Smith-Rowe, Trevor Chalabar, like you said. Um, Tino Andrewin, he did get that injury. But you've got to remember that he also, he had a couple of really big contributions in a couple of games as well, you know, at key times. So they've traditionally worked that system really, really well. And they couldn't over the summer. And I would 
humbly suggest that there would be nothing wrong with the first couple of signings being Premier League loans till the end of the season. And I don't think it, I, I'm I'm a bit with you. I think that the time is. I I don't want to see them sign on a permanent another project player mm. because they they still have plenty of project players technically on the books that the projects have either stalled or are ongoing or mm. you know the end goal has changed somewhat and I really do think there is an argument as you said that they need a couple of established players but I I think for me where it it's vital is the striker because they've got they they need a striker who scores they've got a striker who works extremely hard and he tries to platform other people as much as he can and he makes life really really difficult for defenders but they need a striker who scores yeah they they've they've got Carl Hudlin to offer something different off the bench they've got Kian Harrett has their sort of young striker in and around the first squad first team squad but ideally playing most of his football in the B team hmm. they've got Danny Ward as a really good hard working option when you want to play a certain way they haven't got a proper gun striker you know like and 20 goal a season men are not easy to find if they were everybody would have one but now is kind of the time where they've kind of they've got to try and get somebody who's going to guarantee them I don't know, eight goals minimum, eight to ten goals ideally minimum. And it's it's not easy. It's not easy, but that's that's the profile they've really got to go and get. Um, because it's just it's just not in the squad at the moment. That's the thing. Mm. Yeah, no, I don't I don't disagree. And we'll see. I mean, even recent history you talked about those loans, like Joe Hongbo was a was a good example. And I was again just a bit disappointed we I mean, I don't know the circumstances, but would have liked to have made him a permanent because I think he showed, um, you know, showed something while he was on the town. But we'll see, we'll see, won't we? Um, there's, a, there's a lot of time between now and January, and I imagine there'll be a lot of talk between now and January because that's it feels like everyone's looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, Dave, just coming back to this this game, then really, I know we've kind of talked talked about it, but um, what is the best way, in your opinion, for town to approach this match? Just get on the front foot, you know. Mm. They get on the front foot and get on the ball. There's, I would like the championship is a weird league. You get weird games, you get weird results, you get weird performances. But there kind of is less to fear from Bristol at home than there has been in other games. So, you know, against the second half against Southampton, they were really brave, and that's kind of what they need to be. Just be brave because. With the squad they have and the the play the injury list they have, kind of the only way to be is to try and just conjure up two or three chances that make make the difference. They can't really rely on they can't really rely on sort of persistent pressure and building it up. So they've just got to be really really positive going into it. And the one thing I would say about Darren Moore is one thing I, I have been told and I do believe is that his persona in press conferences and interviews is very, very different from his persona in the dressing room. He's still quite calm and measured and considered, but talks in a very different way and has been in dressing rooms all his playing career. He knows what it's all about. And I think 
like the second half against Southampton, I think you could see it made a difference in that dressing room. I think the second half against Sunderland, you could see it made a difference in that dressing room. And what was interesting is is at the end, Town were pushing for a third, not sitting on the 2-1. So that's why Southampton couldn't, uh, Sunderland couldn't kind of commit to, to just turning it into the Alamo and pushing everyone forward because Town were really trying to pick them off on the break. The Swansea performance is different because they were just out on their bombs, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think you just you just be brave. You just you just go for it again. Why not? You know, it, it's I think as again, I'm not going to speak for town fans because I'm not a town fan. I'm an I'm an analyst, but I think what you want to see is if you if you lose a game two one, but they've kind of left everything on the pitch and they've really tried to win and it's just not gone for them. You know, the ball's just not bounced from on the day. I think you kind of go, well, okay. Okay, you know, it's it's crap, but by the time I've had a pint, I'm absolutely fine about it. Whereas if you don't do that and you do what they did against Hull, it takes about 10 to 12 pints before you're all right with it. And not everyone can drink 10 to 12 pints in a single night. No, no, and it's funny because actually, weirdly, Bristol keeps coming up, but a good example of that where you say 2 1 and I left everything was that Carlos Colbran Bristol City game. Where yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I the XG was like, I swear it's like nearly five or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, yeah. And like you said, there is, I think that's the thing, there's a way to lose. And you touched on like Darren Moore. The press conference thing for me, like, I don't, I don't really care. Like, obviously, it was great to have Neil Warnock and it's fun to listen to, but. Let's be honest, like Carlos Corbran wasn't exactly, um, you know, he wasn't one who was entertaining press conferences, but people didn't care because they were winning games. So I, I do I do think it's one of them. And we, uh, I always go back to that clip with Darren Moore after they'd secured that um, that incredible win against Peter in the playoff second leg and just like Barry Bannon talking about like how much he's singling him out for praise and like getting their mentality right. Um, you know, I know it's like a, can you read too much into that? But it does it does give me confidence. I, I think that's the thing. Like I'm not I'm not it might sound like I'm pro Darren Moore, but I suppose coming back to what we talked about earlier, it's really hard to um a lot. I feel I want it I want it to work well. Obviously, I, whoever's in, in charge of town, I want them to do the best. And I just feel like he's not had a fair rub of the green really yet. No, not at all. And I think he's not gonna get a fair rub of the green, arguably this season. You know, no. because it's not the work they've got to do in January is the work that they had to do in the summer. And so half the season's already gone and they've got the same issue. So you can't expect much from this season. And really, it's first day of next season. What that squad looks like is going to be quite interesting, to be honest, because there are a lot of contracts that are up. There are a lot of of issues they need to sort there are a lot of decisions to be made on young players as well um are you seriously going to take them forward and keep putting the time in them or do you need somebody with a bit more experience in there so yeah you know arguably you're not going to see the best until next season but that's not how football management works you know it's like you've got if you if you're not doing the business after three months regardless of circumstances it's easier to change a manager than change a squad and it's quite a brave club that goes, no, we know where the problems are in the squad. We're going to stick on this path. And the Arteta example is an extreme one, but it is a good one. There are other examples you can you can point to as well. Um, but the championship is a bear pit. It's an absolute mm-hmm. bear pit. But I do I do understand the reservations. You know, I do completely understand that. It's it's not like 
one of the things I said on our podcast that was driving me mad a couple of weeks ago was that I didn't see anything new there since he'd taken over. It was kind of, we're going to keep trying to play a little bit of Warnock ball and I'm going to, you know, put defenders, I'm going to put players into different roles, but we've seen them in those different roles before. It wasn't like a sort of radical change. It was just reverting them to something they'd done before. And now I think after this week, I think we've seen a little bit more of what he wants to do and he does want to be a little bit braver and a little bit bolder, but he, he he's being held back by by what he has available. But I, I do think there is a, a proportion of the town crowd, though, that do just love a, a personality. You know, David Wagner's press conferences and interviews always went over really, really well. You know, I, I used to sit there and it used to drive me mad. I mean, if it, if I don't know how often a bloke can tell me that they're a little dog. You know, like, I, it, it, it honestly used to drive me mad. But I can tell you from the numbers of, of readers, etc., town fans did love it and then it's been very very difficult for anyone to kind of replace that nobody really warmed to Carlos Corbran you know they that the reason people look back fondly at that time is because they won lots of games yeah. you know his press conferences were, were I mean they became a bit of a standing joke in some of my whatsapp groups you know because he just his personality was football manager you know there was there, there was not much beyond that and I've, I've I've said on other podcasts what me and Steve used to do to try and get him going was start talking about tactics because that was what got him going that's where you got good stuff from him if you asked him about transfer rumours or asked him how he was feeling he just wasn't interested in that sort of thing at all so I do I do think personality goes a long way with the town crowd and again that's not criticism it's just it's just a fact and i don't think darren moore has got that sort of like larger than life persona I, I, even when the times are good he's not like that manager who's out there cracking jokes and having a laugh you look at his time with sheffield wednesday and everything else but he's just he's a very solid professional manager who he he kind of wants to do things his way he's not going to do anything too outlandish he's not going to like really let you down at any point so, yeah, you know, we'll see, I think is all we can say about it at the minute. We'll see. I do, I, I'm do. i interested in your take on Nagel's interview, though, because one or two of the comments I saw were like, it's all right giving him time, but we could be in the bottom three by New Year's Day. So mm. what's your take as Huddersfield Town fan of, like, what if you are in the bottom three on New Year's Day? Does that suddenly change? Oh, that's a good one. Um I, I mean, I I would be concerned, you know, to be honest, just because I think if you're, well, you'll know yourself, but if you're, say, I'm not saying town will be like this, but if you're 19th, I think the players you can maybe bring in, um, you've probably got a better chance than if you're, I don't know, 22nd, like 23rd, you know, I'm not saying it'd be like that, but... Yeah, I'd, I'd be a bit worried. I, I think, to be honest, my opinion is kind of with you. I, I just feel like this isn't necessarily the criticism of anyone, but they messed up the summer transfer window so badly. Like, it, it has it has to go right. And I just feel like, if we're being honest, and this is no criticism, you know, I don't know Kevin Nagel, I don't know Mark Cartwright or anything, but, like, I feel like you've they've unfortunately created themselves a position where they have to get it right 
So I think they mm. will get it right because I don't think there's really an alternative. And yeah, I mean, that, that is a possibility. I, I look at the teams below town and I'm kind of with you. Uh, QPR was always the one for me as soon as they got the manager. I, I don't think they'll they'll be in the bottom three. I think Wednesday, they look impressive. But when you've got an owner like that, that can completely, you know, it's Jekyll and Hyde, isn't it? Um, yeah. And it just I think Rotherham, a bit like town have been previously, like they have a, a low budget and unfortunately that catches up with you. So same with Plymouth, like Plymouth, are, you know, although they've played some really good stuff and got good players. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's so strange because town really from I think from a neutral's perspective or you know I have friends who are town like it's probably quite boring <laughs> you know but actually when you get into the nitty-gritty nitty of the club I feel like they give these like huge like it has to go right it has to go right I mean the Warnock appointment's a classic example it's like we have messed up so badly this is the only man we can get and I, I maintain and I think most people do like he was probably the only man who something could stop them from going into league one because they deserve to go into league one <laughs> so yeah i don't know um i think again nagel this isn't a criticism of him but i think it's just like we've had phil you know phil famously like said there was talk about town getting into europe i think the athletic reported that which is uh mm. ambitious you know dean was a talker and you know got a lot of people on side and i think the difference i think is um you know it's hard to say with those like financial restrictions, but I think Nagel's got a lot more money than them. So I, I feel like he can back it up a bit more. So I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at, but yeah, I, I just, I just kind of hope for more that we're not in the bottom three, because I agree with you and listeners here in this, like it's not his, I don't think that's necessarily him. I think he's just the unfortunate sod who's come after one of town's like most beloved managers in 30 years. Mm. So it's just, it's just a hard one. Yeah, I I just think it's quite an interesting situation because the problems are so obvious, yeah. right? So obvious. We I I can tell you now, we're not being geniuses by saying Town need a striker, a winger, an eight, and a right back. That's because it, it's it's really really obvious, and it was obvious in the summer, and it's mm. even more obvious now. So I I just I think. For me, it's it's that slight thing of, well, if you bin Darren Moore tomorrow, you're looking at six managers in 18 months. You also have to look at it from the manager's point of view of if you've got somebody who's really promising, really young. So say Liam Manning was really, really promising and you really, really fancied him to come in. He's going to also look at your club and go, hang on, six managers in 18 months. How yeah. long am I going to get at this club? Because what happens if I need four months? Am I going to get four months or is it going to be three months? I'm sorry, but, you know, you're gone. So I think there's that side of things that they kind of, they have to either stick or get the next one completely 1,000% right, which is like huge pressure because how many times does that happen in football yeah. <laughs> realistically? Mm. So I think if they drop into that bottom three, I think the pressure is different. I think the pressure is real, but I... Again, I don't think they're a million miles off. I do think these are squad issues. I think if you solve squad issues, they, they are genuinely not a million miles off from being a lower mid-table team. And the, the massive thing they've got in their favour is they're like, they're, they're still, people would argue they've not had a great season. I think last time I checked, they were five points off 14th. 
And mm. if they were sat in 14th, we'd all be sitting here going, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely fine. That the, the mar- What I mean by that is the margins that they need to kind of turn in their favour are not massive. They're not huge. You know, if you... If you won four games in the bounce in this league, that's probably genuinely probably four places in the league, you know, in the right direction. And it is that is achievable. That is kind of doable. You know, it's big. It's very, very big, but it is doable. So that's why just rightly or wrongly, I just don't think they're a million miles away. But we come back to it again. It's about that recruitment. They can't they can't afford to get it wrong. You know, it like to to have these problems and still have these problems now, I've, it just makes the pressure worse and worse and worse. Like yeah. it really, really does. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. And the other side of it is, as you'll know, they can't afford a trolley dash on the final day of the transfer window. You know, the these really the first one has kind of got to be done the first week. You know, because mm-hmm. they need the PR win. They can't. They can't be playing their, you know, third or fourth game in January and still have most of these holes to fill. You know, it's, it's, so yeah, it's, it, there's work to be done, work to be done, Brady. There is, there is work to be done. And again, this is no criticism, but even the summer, I feel like we needed that. And, you know, Chris Maxwell, who's done very well, a second choice, free agent goalkeeper, that's not an exciting one. So I'm with you. I, I, I wonder if, like, I almost wonder if a name, like a, a fairly, you know, not a huge name because it's it's Huddersfield Town. It's not like we're going to get the world's greatest defender, Lewis Dunk, as you said earlier. So, um, yeah, it'll be an interesting one. But um, <laughs> Bristol game, what's your score prediction? Because I feel like we've talked a lot about the bigger picture. But Yeah, so Danny Cowley, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, I Do you know what, right? Like before we did this, I'd kind of talked myself into a 1-1. And kind yeah. of talk myself into thinking that would that's probably be all right, but you know what? I'm going to go two one town. Ooh. I'm going to go two one town. I quite, I I just don't think I don't think Bristol are brilliant, and I think if if Town do the things they've done over the last week and ha- and have the ball a little bit more, I think they they're capable of winning this. Mm. Nice, nice. I I predicted one off of this, so I'm I'm going to go with that. Um, and I'll, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I really see scoring, but I feel like uh, top scorer Mikel Halleck will probably get involved. Absolutely sure. Oh, get it. If Town score two in a game, then one of the central defenders is definitely getting one of them. That's, <laughs> That's just it. what they do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we did have a lot of mailbag questions, but I think um, this has been a bit of a long one, so I'll just ask one very quickly. You've got mail. It is about it's about current stuff. A lot were about priorities in January and and stuff like that. But Jay Taylor says with our current squad, um, this is probably more for you, Dave. Assuming all fit, what do you think our best formation is? And if a second question is allowed, what's our best midfield setup? Um, so you know, Dave, what, what do you think? It's kind of like <laughs> not a lot to pick from, I suppose. Uh, my current squad would be the best players that are available and fit. <laughs> Probably. I think pro- probably the three four three at the moment kind of suits them, but I, even that I don't think is an ideal fit for the personnel because I think 
depending what your midfield setup is, you can end up with basically a bit of a double pivot in there, which is a bit too negative sometimes if you've got a hog and Kasumu there. But I think the 3-4-3 that kind of turns into a 5-4-1 out of possession is is sort of suits town at the moment because at the moment there are a lot of games that they can't really set up to win. So what do you have to do? You have to make sure you, you're difficult to beat. You know, you have to try not to lose. And I think that's probably the one that gives them the most stability. And I think that when you've got a back three that are good but can be turned by pace really, really easily, I think probably being able to collapse into that five with two quicker players outside is kind of what they need. And the midfield setup, I think at the moment it's like completely horses for courses that I don't think. Ben Wells is playing in the position he wants to play in or in the style he wants to play in at all. I think Hogg is is quietly, I think, in, in some of the best form I've genuinely seen him in in a town shirt. Um, he has kind of changed his role a little bit and he is, is, is just coming up huge game after game for town. That Everybody knows about kind of what he does really, really well, but there's... There's new things he's doing, like, you know, pushing forward and in the press as almost a second striker. And he he is a huge player for them. The thing about Kasumu is, like, I think there's a player there, mm. but I've never seen him play a half of football and not get either booked or subbed. And I kind of, like, he's clearly got loads and loads of talent. Like he, there are those runs where he takes on two or three people and he just kind of glides over the turf and you think, what a player. But as I said, I, I've never seen him go through 45 minutes and not get booked or subbed. It's mm. one or the other all the time. So I, I don't know. It's difficult. Romani is not a natural fit in there, my boy. You know, yeah. he, he does. If he plays in that midfield, he has to play a certain way because that's kind of his 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 limitations really and everybody else is kind of a a younger option where it's kind of difficult for me to sit here and make a case when people haven't seen them play and they've got to kind of make that step up into that role but these are the options they have you know this is this is what it's this is what it's like at the minute so i i in in answer to that what's your best midfield setup it is jonathan hogg and a new player that you sign in January. <laughs> that that is is kind of it because everybody else at the moment there's like a sort of asterisk next to their next to their name. But I think I don't think it's worth saying. I don't think Darren Moore wants to play a three four three. I don't I don't mm. think this is how he wants to play football. It's not how he's set up in the past. I think he if he plays a three four three, he wants it to be a much more attacking three four three than the one we've got. You know. I, I I would suggest that yeah we we're kind of not seeing Darren Moore's football at the moment. We're just seeing the foot the only football that Darren Moore can get out of this team. So it's it's difficult to answer. Again, it sounds like a bit of a cop out that, but no, I no, I have explained my cop out. No, it's that's it, isn't it? It's really hard to judge. And um, yeah, I think we'll I think we'll kind of wrap it up there because, like you say, I think there's there's a lot of 
discussion and you know i think time will will tell won't it but yeah dave thanks so much for coming on and don't forget you can find uh, dave and, and Stephen chicken at uh, weareterriers.substack.com it should be in our episode description um thanks to you all for listening thanks to magic rock for sponsoring this episode as always tom will be back and we will do a pod together has been a while uh, at some point but that will happen soon and uh, we'll leave it there to tar for now and up the town so town bring the car back to Lads, what's your favourite 90th minute goal? Got to be Heffley against Leeds. A shot from Moy and sliding in at the death, Michael Heffley. Great finish to the game. Shared with my family, only made better by ordering McDonald's via McDelivery afterwards. Three points, not nugget share box, spot on. Order McDelivery now by the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.